Good morning, everyone. Pastor Steve Hogg here, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this online worship service from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us. Last Sunday, if you were with us, I started a new four-week sermon series called Best Ways to Help Our Kids. Next Sunday, I will continue that series, but today, you're going to hear a special message from a very special man. Brother Brian Hausman spoke to our church family here in Rock Hill last Sunday, and today, I want you to hear his message. He does such a good job helping parents know how to invest in their kids, how to disciple their kids, and how to protect their children from technology and uh, and, and the danger dangers that are a part of social media. Uh, he's got some websites you can check out, the Tech Savvy Parent, Tech Savvy Parenting, and uh, 360family.org. So check those out. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll be blessed by that. But this is a message he shared with our congregation last Sunday. I wanted you to hear it because I think it'll be a great blessing to you. And then next Sunday, I'll continue the series, Best Ways to Help our kids. Let's pray together and then you'll hear Brian's message. Father, thank you for today, the opportunity we have wherever we're gathered to worship you, to hear a word from you. And I pray right now for each person listening and watching, for every mom and dad in particular, that you help them, that you grow them, and that you bless them, that they might be the best dad, the best mom, the best man, the best woman they can possibly be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm grateful to be here this, uh, this week with you guys also. I'm a, my very first time here, uh, I've known Steve. Like, uh, I'm not going to go into like which one, but I just, we'll just say Steve, okay? Uh, I've known Steve for a long, long time, back when uh, my kids were wee little bitty things, and um, we met when he was on staff uh, in Memphis, and um, one, of your, one, of, one of your kids, like one of you guys, was on the basketball team that I coached, I don't know which one, and it's kind of crazy, and uh, got reacquainted with your pastor, Steve, uh, at the D6 conference a few years ago, and this has been kind of in the making for a while to finally be able to get here with you guys, and um, so my first time here. Uh, also, uh, shout out to uh, the Ellen crew back in the back. Their first time here also. Met some new folks this morning. They were like, hey, it's our first time. I was like, me too. So <clears throat> kind of fun. And um, uh, anyway, I'm so excited to see what, what God's got in store for us. I mean, obviously we've already met with him already, right? I mean, I mean, honestly, I, some days I don't even know why we have sermons. It's like, why don't you guys just keep singing? Just keep on going, you know? But uh, I am grateful to be here and be a part of this um, with you guys and, and see where God's going to take us for the next 30 minutes. Because I, honestly, I really never know. I mean, I, I always have a passage, but I have ADHD and um, I used to be really embarrassed by it. Now I just fully embrace it because I, 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 I mean, with the first service, I turned to you and I was like, what was I saying? Like, honestly, I could not remember what I was talking about. And it's that way half the time, you know? I mean, I, if I ever get pulled over by the police and he was like, why were you speeding? Just buckle up. Because it's going to be probably a 30-minute conversation and you're going to hear lots of stories, you know? And by the time he's in, he's like, just just leave, please. Just just leave, you know? <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I love I, I, the last 18, 19 years, something like that. I've gotten to travel full time all around the United States, uh, 47 states now, and uh, 11 different countries talking about 
family and parenting. And it's just been an, an incredible journey that we never expected to happen. And there's nothing I enjoy talking about more than talking about my own kids. And so I can completely monopolize the conversation talking about my kids. And I cry every day of my life too, by the way. And it's always something dealing with one of my kids. My kids are now in their 20s. Like, like my life motto is that you're not a man unless you can cry in public, right? So if you're not on board with that plan, you better buckle up, okay? So yeah, I mean, I, I cry every day of my life and, uh, and I have ADHD. So, I mean, it's just, I'm a, I'm a wonder. Um, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about just like what's, what is our end game as a parent, you know, like, what is it that we're parenting toward? And I, I recognize that we've got people from all different ages in here, lots of teenagers in here. And what I'm asking is for you teenagers is, like, don't shut your brains off with me this morning and think, like, oh, he's obviously like talking about parents or grandparents, and this is not about me. But really what we're talking about is we're talking about our spiritual legacy. And for you guys that are young, you know, newly married or, or college students, high school students, like you're writing the first few pages right now of what the spiritual legacy of your life is going to be. And so this message is really for you as well. But, you know, I'm speaking primarily to those of us in this morning that are parents and grandparents. And so um, I'm hoping you're able to just extrapolate from this what you need and just let the rest of it go. Because, I mean, there, there's no way we can possibly, you know, retain everything we're going to talk about in the next 30 minutes together. <laughs> um, you know, every, every coach has an end game. You know, I, I guarantee you the coach of, I don't know, if I was a better prepared, I would have figured out who the coach of USC is. You probably know him because he's like one of your idols or something, you know, your, your, your demigods. And, and, but I promise he has an end game for every football game. Yes. And the end game is not to score a touchdown right? On your, on your kids' soccer, soccer field, soccer teams, you know, your kid finally makes it down the field and, and, and kicks it into the goal and everyone celebrates and, and gets ice cream or, you know, hot dogs after the game. But that wasn't the end game for the coach. Wasn't for your kid, your little six-year-old to score a, 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 a goal in the soccer game. What was the end game for every coach? To win the game. Exactly. That's the end game is to win the game, not to score a touchdown, not to get a field goal, not to get a point, not to get a three-pointer, but to, to win the game. That's the end game. And we have an end game for everything. We prepare for everything in our life. We, we have like, do you guys do like Dave Ramsey finance courses here at your church? Yeah, you do something like that, right? Because we're thinking, man, I got to prepare for my financial future. Just about five weeks ago, a lot of you had your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to, I'm going to eat different. I'm going to exercise different because you're thinking I got an end game for like 2022 and you know we, we plan out our careers you know right 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 now like you know you're thinking about hey, I'm 20 something years old and hey what's the next step for me five years from now every career you go to they talk about what are your five-year goals what are your t- five-year goals I can't even think what I'm doing five minutes from now with my brain you know but they're like what do you what are your five-year goals what are your 10-year goals and you know your church constantly thinking through where are we going as a church we plan every part of our culture. We plan it out, except when it comes to parenting. Have you thought about that? We really don't. It's like, like, uh, what if you guys are pregnant, right? Over here in the, yeah, like, you're, I promise you, in a few months, you're, they're going to put that little lump of funk thing in the car seat, and they're going to send you home from the hospital with it, and they're going to be like, best of luck to you, as they laugh and you drive away. I mean, that's exactly what happens, right? Where's, where's Jonathan? Where, I met Jonathan a while ago with two kids, right? That's exactly what happened, right? And you got home with those twins, and you're like, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, right? I know about, I know about trucks and 
weights and, you know, football, right? You're like, I don't even have kids. But yet they give us these kids as if, as if like, we don't have to have any degree at all. Like, like no class whatsoever. Like, they, you had to take a driving class. I, I, you had to go to driver's ed. You had to take a written test. A driving with the grumpy man at the DMV test. Like, all these things just to drive a car. But yet... You get to raise two human beings with no knowledge whatsoever. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. And so this morning, we have to think through what is our end game? Because we're not going to live forever. Yes. I mean, our days are numbered. We don't, we don't know what the days are. I mean, the reality is, if I came back here two years from now, and maybe this is a test. We'll see how this 30 minutes goes. You know what I'm saying? But if I come back two years from now, the reality is some of us won't be here. Yes. Because we don't know what our days are. And several years ago, my, my kids, I think I mentioned they're in their 20s now, but several years ago, we were on a family vacation. And my kids were doing what all good American kids do on family vacation in the back seat, and that's that they had their headphones on, you know, clue mom and dad out, you know, check them out. And, and so they are, they're having their, their me time, and my wife and I were having what we thought was a, a private conversation in the front seat and, and we, in, our, in our family minivan because, you know, everyone needs one of those. If you don't have one of those, Jonathan, you better get on board with it, okay? <clears throat> yeah. So we're in the minivan, and, and my wife and I are talking about, hey, you know, what do you think we have in store for us? You know, we're going to be empty nesters soon. We are now. We're going to be empty nesters soon. What do you think the next plan is for our life? And what's the next step? And then I said, what do you think God has for, uh, in store for us for the next half of our life? And my daughter took her headphones off and she goes, you're 45. How old do you think you're going to live? What do you mean next half? <laughs> like, man, you guys are awful. Like, we clothe you. We feed you. We give you everything. And you just throw us out. But, but she's right. I don't know how long I have. I really don't. And I, I don't know how good of a basketball coach I was. But I do know by the time my son was five, I was already thinking, I want to know where I'm going with all this. I don't want to get to the end of my days and look back with regret. And, you know, like money is just not a, it's not a high value in my life. And, you know, cars and houses and it's just not a high value in my life. And I mean, honestly, like for all of us, when our mortality is on the line, like when we are at the end of our day, the last day of our life, we're not thinking, man, I got to plan out my shopping list for next month. I got to get my Black Friday list going early. Because when we know that when our mortality is on the line, it's all about family. We're thinking, man, there's just one more thing I got to say to my grandson. And there's, I got I to call my daughter because there's, there's one more thing I got to tell her. Because it's all about family. And for this morning, I want us to begin to think through what is your end game for you as a mom and a dad? What is it you're parenting toward? Moses, when he's, he, he's been leading the children of Israel for 40 plus years through this wilderness experience, if you remember, you know, they, 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 got, they got across the Red Sea and they didn't trust God. And God said, okay, plan B, we're going to let you parents and grandparents die off. And for the next 40 years, we're going to wander around with your kids and they're going to grow up and we'll relearn this whole you trusting me with your life thing. And so now they are, Moses is at the end of his life and God says, Moses, I'm going to give you one last shot, one last chance to speak to my people. And so Moses, you know, he gathers the people together and he has this one last speech. I mean, think if this is your one last day to speak to your kids, what would you want to say to them? And so Moses has this one last speech. He starts off in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, and this is what he says. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen 
or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. But teach them to your children and to who? And to your children after them. He says, don't let these truths, what truths is he talking about? He's talking about the truths of who they know that God is because of their experience over the last 40 years. And you can go read it yourself later, but through the rest of chapter four and chapter five, Moses takes them through sort of a top 10 hits of their time with God, reminding them of the things that their eyes have seen, of the things that they've experienced together. It's as if Moses is saying to them, hey, you remember, don't you? When you were like four years old and we were standing at the Red Sea and thought we're gonna die. And I stopped and raised my staff and I prayed and God split the sea because he was trying to teach us that he is our deliverer. Hey, you you remember that time when you were like eight years old and we didn't have food to eat? Remember that? You were so hungry and I stopped and I prayed and God provided this special food for us, this manna from heaven because he was trying to teach us that he's our provider. Hey, you remember that time you were so scared because we were lost and didn't know the way to go and I, I stopped and I prayed. Do you see a pattern here, by the way? I stopped and I prayed and all of a sudden God provided this pillar of fire at night and this cloud during the day because he was trying to teach us that he's our shepherd that's leading us. And he reminds them of story after story after story of things that their eyes have seen. And here's the deal. Today, right now, if you know Jesus as your savior, you have a story and you need to share your story. Teenager, your story matters. Mom and dad, grandparents, your story matters. Especially those of you in here with gray hair in here, you have got decades and decades of stories that need to be told because that's how spiritual formation happens in the church. It doesn't happen by an incredibly dynamic staff or an amazing speakers or world-class volunteers or just incredible programs. It happens when we, as parents and grandparents, the way schools are changed was when you as teenagers share your stories. The things that you know are true from God's word because you've lived it with him. About 10 years ago, I had a phone call at 5.30 a.m. from a 911 operator. And she said, is this Brian Hausman? And I said, yes. And she said, there's an emergency at your, home, at your parents' home. You need to get there immediately. It was like a 10-second call. I hang up the phone and I start getting dressed. And my wife said, what is it? And I said, I'm pretty sure my dad's gone. I mean, he had retired three months earlier. So he was just 60, 65 years old. And um, I know they don't tell you this on the phone. It's just one of those Holy Spirit moments, you know, just trying to get you to walk into that. And so my mom calls me about 10 minutes later and says, we're on the way to the hospital. Just meet us there. And 11 minutes later, I walked into the ER and I see my dad's body laying on the table. And his spirit is already gone to be with the Lord. And as I looked at my dad's body, my very first thought was this. There will be no more stories. The time for telling stories is gone. Like everything I needed to hear, I hope I heard. Everything I needed to learn, I hope I learned because there's no more stories coming from him. Guys, we don't, we don't know how much we have. We live with such arrogance as if we have all the time in the world. And I'm asking you today, will you, will you begin to make a plan for what your end game as a parent is gonna be? What is it that you're parenting toward? Because you know, every Hebrew family, back in the days of Moses, every Hebrew family had a plan. Like it was just, in, it was a part of the fabric of their culture as Jewish people 
to have a plan when it comes to raising your children into full spiritual maturity. It was a plan that continues even to today. If we were a Jewish you know, audience in a Jewish synagogue today, all the families, all of us, we would have the same plan that they had thousands of years ago. This morning, I'm gonna quickly walk us through kind of the process of, of, that they went through with their kids starting at a very young age all the way into adulthood, like what they did step-by-step step with their kids to raise them so we can kind of pull out of that how that might apply to us as, what do you call your guys selves? South Carolinians? Carolinians? There you go. All right, now I'm on board with the plan. All right, <laughs> the first one is this. We're gonna look at this graph here and we see at the age of five, you can go look up all this yourself later. You can find it, just Google uh, Jewish child rearing or Jewish spiritual development and you'll see all of this. Um, so starting at the age of five, boys, now this was a, it was a male-oriented culture and so, you know, sorry, ladies, genuinely, and, but it was a male-oriented culture, but we're going to apply this to both, both sexes, okay? And so, but we would see at the age of five, these young boys, they would begin to learn the Torah. The Torah is the written law of God. Now, by the age, at five, they're sitting under the tutelage five days a week with a rabbi in their local community, and they're learning because the rabbi is the spiritual authority. He's, he's like the, the embodiment. The, the, he speaks on behalf of God in their community. And so at the age of five, they're not going to, to day school, Mother's Day out. They're not going to kindergarten. Every day, they begin to learn to memorize the written law of God in the Old Testament. By the age of 10, they're not just reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. They're reciting whole passages of the Old Testament because they're committed as parents that our children need to understand, need to know the word of God and have it be a part of their life. We give, we, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not slamming our programs for our children's ministries and our churches at all, you know, but they're not, they're not bringing in, we're not bringing in our kids at the age of seven and teaching them Peter, James, and John on the sailboat. If you remember that from Sunday school when I was a kid. Yeah, instead, they're teaching them whole passages from the Old Testament. Then by the age of 10, now they're learning the Mishnah. And that's a new word for most of you. The Mishnah is the oral interpretation of the Torah. It's the oral interpretation of the written law of God. Now, the way this works is every rabbi, every teacher has his own Mishnah. So do you remember in, um, in the New Testament, in Matthew 5 to 8, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and he says, you've heard it said before, do not murder. But I say to you, do you remember that? And he says, you've heard it said before, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, do you remember those words? Matter of fact, he says it over half a dozen times in those three chapters. As he's quoting the Torah, he's quoting the Old Testament law, and then now he's interpreting it because Jesus is a rabbi. So he says, this, uh, you've heard it said before, but I say to you. So anytime a rabbi says, I say to you, now he's teaching you his interpretation. And in our vernacular, in our, our day language here, like literally in this building, it would be Steve. So on Sunday mornings, uh, during the week, Steve is going to read commentaries. He's going to read other sermons. He's going to read some historical contacts. He's going to think about his own life experience. He's going to spend lots of time praying. Then he's going to get up on next Sunday morning and say, hey, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. He's going to read the passage, and then he's going to teach his interpretation of the passage. Does that make sense? And we're trusting that he's done his job to spend time with God so that his interpretation is correct. He's basically doing the Mishnah for us as Protestants. Do you see this? 
so now every day that Jewish boy is learning five days a week, he's not just learning to memorize God's word, recite God's word, but he's being taught God's word every day by this rabbi. Now, if it goes in five-year increments, there's another big jump every five years in their life, except for the age of 13. And there's something very significant that happens. And at the age of 13, for the, for the boys, uh, the rabbi would line up all the boys, and he would basically say to some of the boys, hey, you know what, your, your dad's a carpenter, isn't he? I, I bet you'd make a really good carpenter too. You should probably go home and learn how to do that from your dad. Is your dad, your dad's a brick mason, isn't he? I mean, he's the one that makes everything in all the buildings, right? I think you should go learn how to do that from your dad. And he would go to each one of the boys and dismiss them to go become a blue collar worker, learning a trade in their community, except for just a few, a remnant, if you will. And he would go to those two or three boys out of the group that are left remaining each year. And he would simply say two words. He would walk up to the boy and he would say, follow me. Heard those words before? That's all he would say is follow me. Now those words are, there's so much packed into those words, culturally, authoritatively, spiritually, so much packed into those two words. Because when a rabbi says to a 13 year old boy, follow me, really what he's saying is everything that I know about God's word and who God is, everything that I've learned in my life as the authority, spiritual authority in our community, I'm willing to give that to you if you'll also commit yourself to me to learn from me. So how often do you think it is that a 13-year-old boy would say, no, thank you very much? Never. This is like the supreme like privilege to be given as a 13-year-old boy. So now let's go to the Old Testament. I mean, to the New Testament. Jesus spent some time in the wilderness. He's off tempted. He comes down. He gets baptized in the Jordan River. And then he, 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 next thing we know, he walks up to some fishermen, these brothers, he says, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just fishing. Why don't you throw your nets over there? I think we know how to fish. Thank you very much. We've been doing this since we we're 13 years old. And he says, well, just trust me. Just throw them over there. They do. And then all of a sudden, he catches a whole lot of, they catch a whole lot of fish. And they're like, oh my gosh, who are you? And then Jesus says two words. What does he say? Follow me. And then it says, they dropped their nets and followed him. I remember, I grew up in church my whole life. I'm a professional Christian, just like a lot of you. Any of you guys professional Christians? Yeah, like I've been going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, since I was six days old, right? And I remember as a little boy hearing this story, they dropped their nets and followed him. I was like, that's crazy. Like that's their job. They left their job to follow this man. They just met him. They didn't know nothing about this man. And it says, then they introduced Jesus to their brother down the street. They go down to the lake and they, they say, hey, let meet this rabbi we just met. And it says that Jesus says to them, follow me. And it says, they left their nets and their families. Your family, you leaving your family, your career and your family to follow this rabbi? Absolutely, because this is huge. Then it says, Jesus, in the book of Matthew, he tells his own story, by the way. Matthew goes up to a tax, uh, Jesus goes up to a tax collector. He walks up to this tax collector, Matthew. He makes his living by collecting taxes, and his salary comes from charging a little off the top for himself. How many friends do you think a tax collector has? None, right? So Jesus walks up to Matthew. All he says to him is, follow me. And it says, and Matthew stood up and followed him. That's craziness! But no, not if you understand their culture. This is huge because this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to level the playing field. Jesus came to say, 
whoever will may come. All of you are included in my kingdom. All are invited. I commit myself to you if you'll commit yourself to me. Hey, you feel like you were the last one picked at kickball all the time? You feel like you're the one that made the, the C average student? You don't feel like you're the one that doesn't make the cut? Jesus says, you all make the cut. Man, woman, child, black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter. You all make the cut with me. That's the magic of Jesus' kingdom. So now let's go back at the age of 13. <coughs> all of this happened to these boys is that a few of them were chosen. And then the rabbi is saying to them that, that now you are a man. In our culture today, they have a bar mitzvah, right? You've heard of that before? A Jewish bar mitzvah. It's like a rite of passage into adulthood for boys, for girls. It happens at 12 called a bat mitzvah. And um, it's a newer tradition. Anyway, it's just a way of saying, you know, I, I, we're turning a page now into adulthood. So for each of my kids, each of my children at the age of 13, we set them down on their birthday. And I said to my kids on their 13th birthday, Childhood is over. It's a hard thing to say to a kid, you know? I said, that doesn't mean we're not going to have fun. We're going to have a blast. We're going to continue to go rock climbing, and we're going kayaking, and we're doing family vacations, and we're going to do all kind of fun things. But what I mean when I say childhood is over is this. From this day forward, as your father, I recognize that you are a man. And I will always treat you as a man should treat another man. Meaning that I'm always going to treat you with respect. I'm not just your authority figure. I'm a man in your life helping you to become a man yourself. And so the way that I treat you in public, I'm going to treat you like I would any other man in public. I'm never going to call you out for disrespect or disobedience in public. I'm never going to reprimand you in public because another man would never do that to me. If you're, if you're doing something disrespectful or disobedient, we'll cover that in private later like a man should do. You know, your friends are always welcome in our house. And I will always treat your friends with respect, just like I would treat another man's friends with respect. You know, there's certain expectations that come with being a man. And so we talked about things like what you're not allowed to say to young ladies, what you're not allowed to do with young ladies, what you're not allowed to ask for from young ladies. Why? Because I'm setting the bar for my son that this is what manhood is. For my daughter, I said, you know what? Childhood is over from this day forward. I will always treat you as a man should treat a woman. You know, your friends are always welcome. I'm never going to be a dad that's going to pull out your baby pictures when your friends are here, you know, and then, then they just you know, make you feel embarrassed. No, because I'm always going to treat you with respect. I said to each of my kids, as best as I can, I will never make you the butt of a joke. As best as I know how, I will never speak sarcasm to you. I will always speak truth to you because that's the way I would want another man, another woman to speak to me. You know, I said to my daughter, I'm never going to be a dad that's going to make jokes to your boyfriends about me owning guns. You know, because I'm going to treat the guys that, that, that feel that they want to spend time with you, I'm going to treat them with respect. So let's get to how this happened. When I treated, my wife and I treated our children's friends with respect, how do you think their friends treated us? With respect. When our children saw their friends treat us with respect, how do you think our own children treated us? With respect. Dad, if you want your kids to respect you, you start by respecting your kids. So often we say things like, man, I just want my kids to obey me. I want my kids just to do what I say. So here's the big question is this, do you want blind obedience or do you want your child's heart to be transformed to be, in the, to be like Jesus so that then they're following you out of love, not out of obligation? Does this make sense? 
And it all starts, guys, with the way that we treat, the way that we look at our kids, the way that we put our hands on them, the way that we speak to them by saying, I'm going to do this with respect. And so then another transition happens at the age of 15. At the age of 15, <coughs> and that's it, they began to learn the Talmud. The Talmud is their Jewish um, uh, cultural uh, um, uh, the, the, the way that they conduct themselves in society, in culture. Like it, it, the, the Talmud has things like how to conduct business transactions, um, how to greet one another in public, um, where you can go and where you're not supposed to go, uh, what to do if your neighbor is in trouble. All these kind of things are covered in the Talmud. They're basically just about our, 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 our interpersonal relationships as adults in culture. And so really what's happening is at the age of 13, they're saying, now you are a man, now you're a woman. And at the age of 15, now we're going to begin to teach you how to live as a man and a woman in the culture. So for our kids, what we did at the age of 13 is we decided each year we're going to have a key word or key principle, key quality about manhood or womanhood that we're going to teach each of our kids up until the age of 18. And so each year, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, each year, there was a different focus in their life. So for instance, uh, remember at the age of 14, it was all about adolescence and talk about all about dating and all about, you know, sexuality and all that stuff. We covered all that at 14. I remember at 16, it was all about finances. Our kids were the only ones in church that took a Dave Ramsey's course. And on their 16th birthday, we gave each of them a $300, uh, um, a $300 new bank account. And as part of that, they had to go and interview the bank president and sit down and talk about finance questions. And then they had to take a Dave Ramsey's course at our church because this year we're focusing on how to honor God with your finances. Two years ago, we talked about honoring God with your body. At the age of 17, it was all about the family tree. And we said, hey, you wanna know, you know, you know crazy uncle? Let me tell you why your uncle's so crazy. Like we just told our kids all of the dark secrets of our family. Like everything dealing with all the drugs, all the alcoholism, all the divorces, all of the abuse. Everything that we know of in our family for the last three generations we shared with our kids. And not so we could gossip about our, our, um, our elders and our forefathers, but we, so we could say to our kids, God redeemed that one, God redeemed that one, God redeemed that one, and every one of these in our line, God has redeemed them. So it's really not celebrating, it's, it's not gossip, it's something to celebrate this is that you are who you are because of what God's done in our family for the last three, four, or five generations. Do you see this? Guys, there has to be purpose. Have intent. Every year when you sit down and think through, what is my new year resolution? Think about what is my resolution? What is my focus for my family this next year? Now, at the age of 18, it was, um, it was a um, manhood and womanhood ceremony. We had uh, men and women from our community, our sports teams, uh, the Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, all those people come to our house. They all spoke words of truth into our kids on their 18th birthday. They all laid hands on them. We gave them significant gifts that represented manhood and womanhood because we're trying to mark, make these spiritual markers every year in their life as they're moving along. And the same thing was happening. That, 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 that's what the Talmud is, is helping your kids walk through that experience. The age of 20, what would happen is they're being taught a trade. And so remember at 13, most of the boys are sent home, but just those few have been learning for the last seven years from the rabbi every single day. Now at the age of 20, he would send them back home for two years to go and learn a trade from their father or from someone else in the community that knew a smithy trade, basically. 
because you were bivocational. You didn't earn your job like a pastor is today just from you know, teaching and, and the synagogue. You would do that part-time as well as you were a carpenter, a fisherman, a, a bricklayer, that kind of a thing. And so you would go and do that during the day and then come back each evening and continue to learn from the rabbi. So now you're doing both. At the age of 30 is when in their culture as Jews, you're considered fully taught and now capable of teaching others. Do you remember in the book of um, uh, 2 Timothy? In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul, who writes to Timothy, uh, who is, is his young protege, he sends a letter to Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you've heard me teach to you, I want you to entrust them to reliable men who will also teach others. He's talking about this. He's talking about that whole process. The reason why Paul would say to Timothy, the words you have heard me speak is because Timothy has been learning under Paul for years now. And he can say to Paul, I mean to Timothy, now you go do it because Timothy is now considered fully taught. So the, think about this irony. When was it that Jesus showed up on the scene and got baptized by John the Baptist? 30. Do you think it was just by chance that Jesus started his public ministry at 30, guys? I'm telling you, there is so, everything makes sense. There is design, there's purpose behind why God, why God does what he does when he does what he does. Do you hear me? Now see, if I was in a blight church, that would have gotten some kind of response, I'm telling you. That, that rhymed in everything. Mercy. <laughs> There's always a reason behind why God does what he does. And so why did Jesus show up at the age of 30? Because now he has the possibility of people looking at him and going, oh, he's a rabbi. He is a teacher. He, I can follow him with my life as well. So now what does all that have to do with us? We see that there is a 30-year process for them. They didn't open the door at 18 and say, go good luck at college. Get married and have kids. 30 years a process here. I asked one of my um, college professors uh, from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Allman, and I asked him one day, I said, Dr. Allman, in the Jewish culture, when would a child no longer be considered that it's their responsibility to learn from their mom and dad? He said, when their mom and dad dies, meaning that we are always in process of learning that for them, it's 30 years until you're considered mature. Do you see this? So what about for us? <clears throat> so for us, you know, in our day and age, I would say that for us you know, as parents, that we have three different kinds of influences over our kids in their life. And the first one is authoritative influence. When your kids are little, you have, from the very beginning, you have authority over your kids. And when your kids are, you know, I don't, I don't know, like the, the age of your kids now, they ask questions like, hey, mommy, why do dogs slobber? Um, why is the sky blue? Why are dinosaurs not alive anymore? And they ask questions all the time, don't you? And sometimes you're like, I go to the bathroom just to get away from your questions. Yes? And the reason why they ask you these questions and no one else, I'm probably, they're not asking anyone else these questions. They're not asking other three-year-olds. They're asking you. It's because you are the bearer of all knowledge of the universe to them. And one, that's an incredible privilege, yes, and incredibly intimidating as well, right? You're like, I, I, all these answers are all up to me to give the right answer? Yes, you know, and, and <laughs> it drives us crazy sometimes. Now, don't misunderstand this next statement. I believe until your child is old enough to understand who Jesus is, you represent Jesus to them. 
that you are, it's as if Jesus is saying, the embodiment of who I am is resting on you, dad, you, mom, to help him understand, help her understand who I am, which is why it's so important for us to be mindful of our own words, our own actions, our own deeds, because they're to be a reflection of who Jesus is. And so we have this authoritative influence over them. Now, often authoritative influence, it boils down to, you know, sit down, be quiet, don't do that, don't touch that, don't say that, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, because I said so. We all love those words, don't we? They go down like warm honey, like warm tea, because I said so, you know? And um, yeah, we all love that answer. And so we said those kind of things as the authority figure, but at around the age of 12 or 13, hmm, funny that it happens then. 12 or 13, a new kind of influence comes into our children's lives. It's what I call relational influence. And all of a sudden, your kids begin to develop relationships for the first time of their own choosing outside of the home. You know, when your kids are little, they're primarily friends with who they're friends with because you're friends with their parents. You are the ones that arrange their play dates, you know? But all of a sudden, they get to middle school and they get to youth group and scouts and all these kind of things where they're developing relationships outside mom and dad. Now, see, relational influence says things like, but everyone's going to be there. But everyone's wearing this. Everyone's using this app now. You really need to download it and get on board with the plan. You know, everyone's drinking this. Everyone's touching this. Everyone's doing this. That's relational influence, yes? Sometimes we refer to it as peer pressure, right? Because in relational influence, is all about relationships. It's all about community. And so, so often, why do teenagers do what they do? It's not because they're trying to embarrass you as mom and dad. It's because they're looking for community. They're looking for relationships. And so she ends up in an unhealthy dating relationship with some boy because she's looking to be loved. Does this make sense? I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm just saying I understand where it comes from, that most often it comes from looking for relationships in their life. And so when our kids come to us at 12, 13, 14 and say, hey, mom and dad, can I go to this party? Mom and dad, can I go to this person's house? Hey, can I go to this? And if our answer is always, no, no, not now. This is not a good time. I can't talk to you right now. What they hear is authority. And they don't hear, I want to be a relationship in your life. Does that make sense? We have to add, but we don't lose our authority. We just have to add relational influence to the mix and constantly balance both of them. Uh, Moses says it this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strengths. These commands today I give you should be upon your hearts. Meaning these truths of who I am as an authority figure, if you're going to lead effectively, you lead out of love. When he says, love the Lord your God with all of who you are. And so it's like we as moms and dads, as grandparents have to get up every day and say, God, you're the creator of the universe. You're the father of my life. You know what's in my best interest. Would you refill me again? Because I am empty. I don't know how to love my family today. I don't know how to love my classmates today. I don't know how to love my coworkers today. Would you fill me with your love again? And so then how do we live out this relational influence of walking alongside our kids through life? You know, look at the very next verse in Deuteronomy 7. He says, take these truths and impress them upon your children. That word impress in the Hebrew, it literally means to brand or to tattoo. So like there's your excuse right there. You can go to mom and dad and say, hey, the pastor guy said, 
That, you know, it's in the Old Testament right there, you know, the tattoos, right? Are you shaking your hair like, no, 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 don't, don't think so. We're not having that conversation at, 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 at Cracker Barrel this afternoon, sweetie, sorry. Um, no, but what it literally means when he says to brand or to tattoo is this. If, if we had a, a herd of young uh, uh, um, calves and, and this rancher came in and he heated up a branding iron red hot and he put it on the backside of each one of those calves, what does that brand represent? Ownership. It means from this day forward, he determines where it's going to sleep, when it's going to eat, where it's going to roam, what its boundaries are for the rest of its life because he owns it. Everyone that sees that cow, no matter how old it grows, will know it is owned by this person because it has been branded upon them. So what does that have to do with us as parents? Moses says, take the truths of God, the truths that you've lived, that you have experienced in your own life and embed them and brand them upon your children. Meaning the truths of God become their identity. So all of a sudden, when some young little boy comes, some young man comes to your daughter at the age of 16 and says, hey, I love you and you love me, so we can do this. This is what love is. All of a sudden, your daughter can go, oh, just look at the hand because I know what love is because my whole, the last five years of my life, my dad, my mom have been walking with me to understand the honor of a woman and how a woman should be touched and looked at and spoken to and what you're offering me is a counterfeit and I don't need it because she knows her identity. When the culture comes to our young men and says, hey, you want to be a man? You need a football. You need a pickup truck. You need a shotgun. You need, you know what? It's just a website. It's just pictures. Everyone looks at it. This is what it means to be a man. No one's getting hurt by these kind of pictures, right? Everyone gets to do this. That all of a sudden your 12, 13, 14-year-old son better have the wherewithal to say, no, I know what a man is because my dad's been modeling for me my whole life. My mom has been teaching it to me my whole life. My daughter, her first date was with me. Why? Because she, she knows nothing about dating. The only thing she knows about dating is what she saw on Disney Plus, you know, as a kid. You know, Nick Jr. as a kid. You know, uh, her, her idea of dating was the, 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 the sweet life of Nick, you know, Joe, one of those two boys' names was, you know. I mean, that was her idea of dating, you know. And so we had to go to dates. I could show her, you know, this is, this is how you're to be touched. And this is how a boy, this is what the kind of questions she should ask you. And, you know, every boy that she wanted to go out with, on a, that wanted to go out with her on a date had to come to our house for a meeting first. It was never intimidating because I promised her I would never make it intimidating. But it was that I want to meet him. If he's going to be part of your life, that means he's part of our family life. So I'd like to meet him first. So let's meet him and let's just talk. And we would have these conversations. And it was incredible, guys. I mean, just the, the connectiveness we had with our kids, not just the amount of respect, but the amount of deference they would give to us in asking us to be a part of their life because we proved ourselves to be trustworthy when we said we want to be a part of this. Does that make sense? My son, his first date was with his mother because adolescent boys know nothing about girls. The only thing that adolescent boys know about in life is video games and farting. That's it. <laughs> Can I say that in your church? Can I say farting? I just said it twice now. I said that's all they, that's all they know. And so my mom, my, my wife had to go walk with my son to understand, like, you know, literally, like, why is, what's happening with, what's happening with my sister? What's going on with her body right now? Let me tell you, son, you know, buckle up, you know? Uh, you know, remember what you did a few years ago? Now your sister's going to go through it, except it's going to be a whole lot worse. And um, so just walking with them through these experiences, 
You know, he, he, this is what he says in, in, in verse 7. Talk about these truths when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. When does it sound like Moses is saying that we should be talking about the truths of God? All the time. Now, he doesn't mean like, let's beat up our children with Jesus or that every conversation is about Jesus. I think he's talking about this idea of these teachable moments. He's looking for these moments that God puts in front of us every single day. Jonathan, I promise you, you're going to have a thousand of these over the next 14, 16 years, buddy. He's going to put them in front of you every day with your kids. And the question is, are we going to capture that moment because they disappear just just as quickly as they came? When our kids were little, we were homeschooling because we were trying to raise weirdos. And... I'm just kidding. If you're homeschooled, you got to have thick skin. You know what I'm saying? My son was homeschooled K through 12, got a full ride college scholarship. So yay rod nerds. All right. So um, we were homeschooling and we had this uh, catchphrase in our family when we were at the mall that if I ever said to my kids at the mall, oh, I like your shoes today, then that was a code that you're supposed to look down at your shoes as we walk through the mall. And the reason why is because in our mall, there was a woman that had a store there that we wanted to avoid. Her name is Victoria, and um, and she has lots of secrets. And God bless her; she loves sharing them with everybody. And um, so one day, my son and I are at the mall, and we're walking past her little secret shop, and he's looking down at his feet. And we're going up the escalator, and there's this vinyl banner advertising this new makeup at her store. And I said, Bailey, I want you to look over at this. And he looks over, and I said, Bailey, do you see those eyes? He said, yes, sir. I said, do not trust those eyes. I said, those are deceiving eyes. Those are what dad calls bedroom eyes. And the only person that should ever look at you like that is your wife. And if any other girl ever looks at you like that, it's a trap and you need to run. I said, do you understand? He said, yes, sir. And then we went and got ice cream, right? Because that's what you do, right, Dad? I mean, we can have the conversation, but we've got to have an icy or ice cream afterwards so I can forget we had the conversation. <laughs> and we did this. We had a thousand of these conversations, literally, like every day thinking about, like, how do I speak truth into my kids? The um, Lifeway Research with the Southern Baptists, they did a survey several years ago asking regular church-going attender grown-ups, parents, you know, how often they have a spiritual conversation with their children. 27% of them said at least once a month. That was the high. At least once a month, one out of four of you are having some kind of spiritual conversation with your kids. 10% of parents said that I pray with my kids. That means for 90% of them growing up in church, the only time they're going to hear prayer is when it happens here at Children's Church. I'm telling you guys, you may have an amazing staff. The Steves (laughs) may be doing an incredible job. And you got over 100 volunteers in your children's ministry and in your student ministry, your college ministry. But please hear me. It is not their job to spiritually disciple your kids. You get a once in a lifetime privilege to do this. And it is over quicker than you know. You know, the last one is this, is this mentoring influence. Give me 60 seconds. This mentoring influence. And it's this this idea that now we are both men, we are both women, we are both in this adult relationship together on this spiritual journey together. 
that it's not just you're my child. It's that, you know, this is where we are now with our kids. My son, when he was uh, last year at college, he was having this, this conversation with his, um, his roommate, <coughs> Zach. And um, Zach, and he had told me that they had had several conversations about um, so the permanence of salvation. Meaning like, can you lose your salvation or not? And Bailey was having these conversations because Zach was having a lot of doubt about his salvation. And then um, one night, my phone rings at 1230 at night. And it's my son. Hey, dad, are you there? Please, college students, do not call your parents to 1230 at night unless it's an emergency. All right. So now I'm sitting straight up in bed. And my, my son says, hey, dad, I'm sitting here in the living room with Zach. And we're just having a conversation. Like he's cluing me in, right, what they're talking about. And he said, um, I share with him all the verses that I know. And Zach said, is there anybody else we can talk to? And I said, we can call my dad. Hey, dad, can we talk to you for a minute? Now, what he didn't know is I'm sitting in bed crying. And I don't mean this with arrogance. I really do mean it with humility. He didn't call his youth pastor. He didn't call his basketball coach of the last six years or a small group leader of the last seven years. He called his dad. It doesn't happen by accident. Jonathan, it's going to happen by day after day, season after season, year after year, capturing those moments, speaking truth into these little girls, capturing those moments with him, with her, just to say, God, it was with, with, the, with the gifts I have, the time I have, the abilities I have, the passions and dreams I have, as best as I know, as a mom and dad, I'm giving this to you, God. And will you somehow take all this craziness of my life and you be honored with it as I try to lead the next generation to be like you? We're going to end our service a little bit differently this morning. I, I didn't get to talk to you about this. Maybe you did. I don't know. And um, we're going to end a little bit differently. I'm going to, um, your, your, your um, worship pastor is going to come and play some music. And I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning for one of those teachable moments, one of those defining moments with your family. I think we get so busy in church that we don't take time to just stop and let God show up and do something different sometimes. So this morning, um, <coughs> I'm going to ask, if you are a teenager, 6th grade to 12th grade, I'm going to ask you to come and join me down front here. And I'm going to ask, you guys can go ahead. If you're, I'm going to ask if you are a parent of one of them, could you please come and join them down here as well? If you guys could just go ahead and move now. Teenagers, 6th through 12th grade, come on down front here. I promise we're not going to do the hokey pokey. We're not going to sing a song. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise, teenager, just as I would honor my own kids, I'm going to honor you, okay? Now, those of you that are still seated, could you just raise your hand at me right here so I see you looking at me? Those of you that are still seated, I need you to do me a favor. I'm going to be talking to them for just a couple of minutes, okay? And ask God to do something for them. And while I'm talking to them, you have a role to play, okay? And it's this, that I want you to be praying. I'm not saying that that sounds spiritual. I mean legit, when I start talking to them, I want you to start praying. Like maybe even just turn, if you're sitting next to a friend, next to your spouse right now, your grandparent, turn and just start praying together for what God's gonna do right here, okay? All right, so we got all the teenagers and parents. Can you guys here move on over this way so we can let them out of the aisle? You guys move on up. Uh, you guys move on up over for me a little bit this way. We can let some of those people down the back in over here. If you are a teenager down here and there's not an adult standing with you, can you just kind of do like this 
for me so I can see you. Okay, I need a couple of youth volunteer ladies. I need a youth volunteer lady right over here. I need another youth volunteer lady right over here. Is there any, anybody else that doesn't have teenagers, that doesn't have someone down here with you? Just kind of wave at me right here. So everyone's got someone. Okay, so I'm talking to them. So what are you guys doing? Praying. So could you, could you teenagers just bow your heads for a minute and we talk to your parents? Um, Mom and dad, um, could, could we just admit together you would do anything for that person standing next to you? I mean, you'd lay your life on a train track if you had to. You'd give them every dime in your pocket because there's nothing that matters to you more in this life than them. I mean, I know, I know, you, you, I mean, teenagers, you got your heads bowed, so you're not hearing this. But mom, dads, do you, I, mean, I did this thing when my kids were little. Sometimes I would just go to the rooms, even as teenagers, when they're asleep, and just stand there and just look at them. Just in awe of like, I can't believe I get to be part of this person's life. But can we also admit, sometimes they want to make you pull every hair of your head out. Yes? Like some of you, it's already happened. Yes, it's just gone. Right? It's just, it's, just, it's over, right? Never coming back. I, I want to help you understand that often when your kids make these mistakes, I promise they're not doing it to willfully disrespect you. They're not doing it because they're trying to embarrass you. Often they're just trying to figure out how life works and they end up making mistakes. I'm not excusing the mistakes, but I'm saying one of the greatest gifts you can give your child is two words. I, I understand. Hey, sweetie, I see what happened and I get it. I understand what you're going through. I'm not here to preach at you. I'm not here to tell you about the good old days. I just want to tell you, I understand. And I'm still in your corner. I am going nowhere. There's nothing that you can ever do that will push me away. And right now, I want to give you a moment. There was, um, we talked about what happened at 13 with those Jewish boys. And what would happen is on that day, it was a thing that happened with their whole family is that in the Jewish culture, they have this, this, um, <coughs> this rite of passage in which the family gathers together and they speak words into that 13-year-old. And then they lay hands on them and they pray a blessing over them. And I'm gonna ask you right now to do the same thing for your teenager, to give this gift to them. And I promise you will never forget this yourself as a parent. Maybe you're the parent that you're thinking, man, I just don't pray out loud. Or I'm, I'm leaving to get on the road in 30 minutes. So I really don't care. I'm asking you to do this for your kid's sake. And don't pray, God, would you help my kid be better? Help them obey me more. All I want your teenager to hear you say is I want them to hear your voice speaking their name to the father, telling them just how in awe you are of who they are. Just what a gift they are to your life. And just to pray God's protection over them. Can we do that together? You guys out there, what are you doing? You guys right here, would you lay your hands on your teenagers for me? Lay your hands on them. And I'm gonna give you a moment just of silence, just for you to pray out loud over your kids. And then I'll close us.
Father, I, I ask that you would take these words, these many, many prayers right now, and you would receive them as living offerings to you from these moms and dads and grandparents. God, you take these prayers out in the audience that have been lifted up to you and you receive them as well. God, we thank you for these teenagers down here. We thank you for this next generation of your children. God, pray that you would protect their heart as they begin to venture out and make choices apart from us, that they find themselves in situations where they feel trapped or they just feel like they don't know what to do, that they would hear your still quiet voice in those moments. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind them every day as 14, 16, 17-year-olds remind them every day of who they are in you, that they are your sons and they are your daughters and that matters. Father, I pray of how you want to change the schools in this community, that you want to change the future of this church, careers, occupation, businesses in this community because of what you're going to do and the lives of these teenagers right here in the next coming years. We pray this for your name and your glory, Jesus. Amen.